it will be good to get back to our uh, sort of mission statement that the elite freaks that run this uh, uh, profession um, are all uh, huge disasters. But uh, I, I, we've we've been relying on some funny cases, and I don't think we have those this time. No, no. Now we're going to be talking about the goofy antics of detonating uh, teenagers while they're barbecuing with Hellfire missiles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just some wacky shit like that. LOL. <laughs> Hi, welcome to A-Lab Series Episode 6. I'm Andy, and in this episode, Tark, Michael, and I take you through some of the opinions and arguments authored by the Office of Legal Counsel to the Executive Branch. These opinions are offered to justify acts like launching Tomahawk missiles into Libya or droning an American citizen in the sun. We try to show you what happens when the smartest people in the legal profession think no one is looking and that no one's going to come check their math. It gets pretty ugly, but we hope it's informative. So uh, tonight we're talking about the Office of Legal Counsel, and if you are a loyal ALAB listener, you know that in episode two we talked about lawyer brain, and in talking about that we touched on the OLC, and we talked we talked about their Libya opinion, and we talked about uh, the lawyers that work there just a little bit. Um, this episode is kind of like a lawyer brain part two. And uh, we're going to dive more deeply into uh, Office of Legal Counsel, and we're going to look at a couple of their opinions. Yeah, and this is, we're talking lawyer brain here, but this is really about, like, lawyer soul. Like, this is where you go to, <laughs> to sell your soul. <laughs> um, one of the many places. And, and so, uh, you know, this is really where guys, you know, cut their teeth basically justifying for, for the executive the most awful, heinous shit you can imagine. Um, and on the thinnest and most absurd grounds you can imagine. And and so it'll be a fun little tour of some of the worst things lawyers do. <laughs> yeah, we're going to show you some of the smartest, best people in the profession just completely wiping their ass with arguments and then stuffing them into a drawer, assuming nobody's going to look at it. Uh <laughs> Yeah. And and the things that they're justifying are just straight up killings, uh, just war. just to, just complete war crimes, right? <laughs> right. Total war. Yes. 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 No, and and I, I think I you know this is this is good because you can talk to pretty much any lawyer practicing uh, today, and at some point they're going to tell you that they have an ethical floor that they have to observe, right? Like if the client, you know, is doing something wrong, you know, we're going to have to step in and explain to them that blah, none of that happens here from what I can tell. Uh, <laughs> no. People think that lawyers just make any argument necessary to, to, to represent or, or, or defend the client's self-interest. Um, and then we all say, no, no, it's not, you know, we have certain guardrails and certain boundaries. Uh, clearly, uh, that's all bullshit. And and I, I mean, I think it's worth mentioning that I think in part it's because of, of the reward, right, from OLC. What you're selling your soul for is 
really, really primo jobs. This is a stepping stone to major things. It's the dean at a Ivy League law school. It's, you know, uh, judge appellate courtship, um, that sort of shit where you're just set for life after this yeah if you underwrite these things and put the imprimatur of the school you came from or the professorship you're coming from if you are willing to lend all the institutional credibility that you have acquired in your life and your expert writing skills to underwrite these fucking war crimes uh then look just get through the end put your head down and by the time you get to the end of it uh, you know, you're going to find yourself with an incredible job offer. A sellout is someone who becomes a hypocrite in the name of money. An idiot is someone who lets their education do all of the thinking. A phony is someone who demands respect for the principles they affect. A dilettante is someone who can't tell the difference between fashion and style. Charisma exquisite manipulation and money is the sandpit of the soul money is the sandpit of the soul money so first let's let's talk about what the olc is itself so the office of legal counsel um it offers counsel to the executive branch most frequently dealing with new areas new things that have to happen uh new areas that agencies want to go into uh areas of activity that aren't clear that they may not have regulated before um, new situations that the government hasn't faced before often. It tr- and the OLC will treat itself like a reviewing court. Um, it offers advisory opinions. Um, this is important because advisory opinions are not something that Article Three courts that you think of as federal courts that they do. If you want to get into federal court, you usually have to have a case or a controversy. And so a lot of these actions, you know, when you're talking about droning somebody, which is one of the decisions we're going to talk about, or you're talking about going into... Uh, Libya, uh, you know, launching thousands of Tomahawk land attack missiles. These aren't the things that are going to end up in court. Like, you're not going to have a plaintiff suing on it such that the court is now going to review the rationale. They're going to be too dead for that. They're going to be fucking dead. You know, or if if somehow someone were to ever file a case, you know, they get kicked out on standing or something. So what... What the OLC is ostensibly supposed to do is provide advisory opinions in the case where you don't really necessarily expect... Uh, judicial review it prides itself and pretends that it is this institution that is impartial and says no to the executive it says what the law requires and it's not meant to just be a hired gun advocate now it for a couple of like i actually i i'll I'll confess how stupid i am i I actually thought olc was in the white house it's not it's justice right um Uh yeah and and it's not just the executive qua of the White House, it's, as you say, it's it's the entire administrative state under the executive branch uh, that OLC will issue opinions to or for, right? That's right. right. That's right. Okay. Agencies will come to it with new things. We want to do this surveillance thing or we want to – the the classic example is the explosion of OLC activity after 9-11. So after 9-11, you get all these new powers. You get the Patriot Act, which just superpowers every possible law enforcement agency afterwards. And now people are just going to OLC. Are we allowed to do this? Can we just, like, listen to everybody's phone calls? Is that – you know, what, what can we do and what, what are the limits of our power that OLC is supposed to tell the executive? Uh, and they tell them all right. <laughs> they tell them that there are no, no limits. limits. There are no <laughs> limits. 
So the way it actually um, generally operates is that it cites often back to its own opinions, just like a court would. You know, the Supreme Court will say, as we found in such and such case, uh, and the OLC does the same thing. It'll look back to its own opinions. Look, in 1984, we said that the president had unlimited uh, authority to do any fucking thing he wants as far as uh, war, you know, regardless of what the Constitution says. Um, and, and now, uh, strengthening that decision, we agree with it. But there are some very well-known uh, alumni of OLC. Is anybody going to talk about our favorite guy, friend of the show? <laughs> no, it would, jo, jo, the, 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 the torture, the torture memo guy, John and I, th- I think that's important because yeah. both John Yu and the fact that he's the torture memo guy, right? Like you know, we're going to talk about a lot of John Yu's, and we're going to talk a lot. About, uh, there's a lot of torture memos, too, right? There's not just one torture memo, and there's not just one torture memo guy. Uh, but uh, you, yes, is is sort of the er example of shitbag uh, who works at the OLC and then goes on to suffer absolutely no consequences whatsoever, except for being swaddled in velvety comfort. Right, <laughs> right. It's um, you know, our lay listeners who might not know what the OLC is and and might not have necessarily recognize the name John Yu, will still know precisely what we're talking about when we say the torture memos, right? That's like in the national consciousness. And Yu was the guy who drafted them. And now he's a dean at Berkeley Law, which is just like the most idyllic life I can imagine. Um, but but he's not and he's not just hiding out. No, he's on TV in the in the in the leafy Envi- you know, like you know, ensconced <laughs> in the leafy environ somewhere yeah, at Berkeley. At the local cafe He's going on TV, just saying the most absolutely gormlessly stupid partisan shit. Right. Still, right? <laughs> like yeah, he's I not saw, hiding. I saw he's him like a week ago. I saw him like a week ago saying, "Like, look, uh, the founders never would have wanted impeachment hearings within a year of an election." <laughs> of course. Now he's saying this mid-October. Now there's no fucking evidence for this at all, and it's absurd. Uh, but also, it technically was not even within a year. The guy, but he gets on Lawyers TV. Lawyers are regu- famously bad at math, Andy. <laughs> he regularly gets his pieces placed in the New York Times and any fucking elsewhere he wants. And uh, it's just like, it's like Dr. Mangala just walking around and, you know, hobnobbing with, you know, polite People taking him seriously. And, and getting, yeah. getting, you know, citations in journals and people are being like, well, he is an MD. You know, he does, he, and he has a lot of government experience. So we should, <laughs> we, we should take his opinions yeah. seriously. And, and you know, you drafted the memos, but um, as Andy has pointed out before, his boss is the guy who signed his name to him. Bybee, 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 yeah, Bybee, and and he's a federal uh, appellate judge now in the Ninth Circuit, which is, again... The the famously liberal Ninth Circuit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, right, right. The, uh, the crazy, out-of-control <laughs> socialist Ninth Circuit. Yes. Right, so these... And these are the people, especially John Yu, these are the people who have suffered the most possible consequences that you can, right? Like, John Yu had the torture memos revoked by the, the next guy, I think it was Jack Goldsmith, who yeah. all of us were just yelling at Twitter, yelling on Twitter, <laughs> yes. on Twitter the other day. Uh, yes. But Jack Goldsmith re- re- revoked these memos, and then everybody who looked at them were like, this is faulty legal reasoning and yeah. fucking inhuman. And, and that's as big an embarrassment as you can get, and you can see it has touched his life none. It's just like some nobodies on a podcast are making fun of him, and that's it. He doesn't give a fuck. Meanwhile, it's uh, going back to the idea that the OLC is just like a bunch of yes men for the government 
Goldsmith got pushed out like a couple months after uh, pulling back the torture members and uh, they got reinstated afterwards. Yeah, he, but so, he, he got he got he got pushed out into a, a Harvard. Yeah. I chair, mean, he's right? doing all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, I don't want to like be crying tears for this guy. Like like Andy said, we were all getting on his case on Twitter the other day because he's a total douche. But on the scale of douchiness, he at least you know, apparently had some bottom line that other guys did not, and it lost him his job at OLC. So, <laughs> As frequently will happen to you right. when you start, if you ever think about saying no. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so we're going to jump in now. Uh, we're going to talk. So, so the first decision we want to talk about, the first OLC opinion we want to talk about, is one that I mentioned on the previous episode, which is the Libya memo. This is the memo that... Uh, OLC gave to the Obama administration when the Obama administration asked uh, whether it had constitutional authority or if, or if it possessed constitutional or statutory authority to begin military operations in Libya. Uh, and the reason we're going back to the Obama era is is in part, we'll talk about this again at the end of the episode, but is in part because like it's sort of obvious that institutions are broken under Trump. Like no one, that's not really a controversial or interesting proposition. But this institution has been broken for a very long time. Uh, obviously going back to the Bush administration like we just talked about. And even under like old Mr. Institutions himself, Obama, right. when you hear this stuff, uh, it's, it's pretty obvious there's a fucking problem. That's exactly right. And and I think that's why he's like the like the OLC under Obama is like the best case illustration of how sort of fucked it all is. Um, so we want to get into the the details of Libya. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the first part. Um, so the first thing that the memo says, and and I I, I want to pull this out because if you were to download this thing, and you can, you can just look up like Obama, you can just OLC Libya memo, and you'll get this thing. You can read it anytime you want, listener. Um, but the first thing it says uh, that I think says a lot about the procedure of the OLC is it says this memorandum memorializes advice this office provided to you prior to the commencement of recent United States military operations in Libya <laughs> regarding the president's legal authority to conduct such operations. The memorandum is dated April 1st, 2001, which is appropriate because it's a fucking joke. And <laughs> and uh, what it's saying here is important because the date of the memo comes after uh, the commencement of operations there. And so right, what it's saying right. is, listen, we already had this conversation. Remember when you asked me if it was okay to do what you're doing, uh, and I said it was fine. Um, <laughs> right. I'm just writing it down now so everybody... Just for the record. That's right. But what it actually shows, and what it unavoidably shows while attempting to show that, that the Obama administration appropriately called and got advice, what it actually shows is something revealing which is that the admin called and requested an audible, okay? They had a meeting or they had a phone call or whatever, and when they got the answer they wanted, they said, okay, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. Write the opinion. So they get the permission from the institution, and they say, yeah, write the, write the opinion. So what's important to note right from the beginning is that not every OLC opinion is published. Oftentimes these things have to, like you discover the existence of them, then some reporter foils them, and that's how you find out that somebody wrote it because it just gets stuck in a file. Or uh, even the ones... Um, you know, they, they do publish some, but they don't publish all. But also, and much more importantly, not every OLC opinion is written. Right. So if the OLC had said, no, you can't go into Libya, this opinion wouldn't fucking exist. Yeah. That's what this first sentence tells you. Because they just would have said, okay, never mind, never mind, we're not going to do it, hang on. And they or, or they might have gone around and they might have figured something else out. 
but they would have said, yeah, don't don't worry about it. The phone call would have ended, and they say, yeah, forget it. Um, which which I should say, and I, I'm not speaking, of course, about any current job or client, but it's not uncommon in that kind of internal advisory situation to say, uh, we'll go out and we'll hire external counsel. We'll say, can you tell us, can we do X? But before you give me anything in writing, can you tell me what the answer is? And if, <laughs> yeah. I, and if I don't like the answer, I'm not going to pay you to write it. Right. Yeah, right? I don't want uh, an email telling me, advising right. me of legal consequences. But, yeah. yeah, That's one thing I think in a private sector context where companies or other entities are looking to navigate regulatory or legal space. Right. It's something else here where, as you said before, one of their primary sources of precedent is not legal cases or stat, but their own opinions, right? Right. So, and, and the client so it creates that negative selection issue where there aren't any no's to cite. To. And, and the client <laughs> isn't just a private company; it's the U.S. government. It's the executive right. branch of the U.S. government, where it's like maybe worth having records of even when they get told no, like even worth having records of their requests. You know, that's like yeah, but something that seems like beyond, in the public interest. Beyond even the transparency, though, I mean, the fact that this is an inevitable, like, great sucking sound, you know, down to the bottom <laughs> yes. of only publishing the times when they were very agreeable <laughs> right. uh, and only having very agreeable opinions to cite to right. as precedent. It's lunacy. Yeah. Yeah. And then, it, and then it gets compounded because when you when you read this memo and, and others like it, you see that all the footnotes are like, and then we also said yes here. And then we also said yes here. And it's nothing but an unending stream of yeses, which yeah. proves that the proper interpretation of the Constitution is the one we're offering you now. But what's happening the entire time is there's only a series of yes opinions to cite to and the yes opinions are as fawning and obsequious as possible so none of this shit should be credited so when so when the olc and and like all these people who uh you know get their credibility from having worked at the olc now they all regard it as a hallowed institution and i was honored to serve there and i love being a circuit court justice now or a chair of you know a a a professor at, at x university um these people all have something invested in that institutional credibility of it. But when you look at it, this is not a, the court it pretends to be. It yeah. is not an impartial reviewer. It's just a fucking con. It's a hired gun. It's just outside counsel the same way Tark was just talking about happens in the private sector. And it, it was like minorly big news when last month a couple courts actually were like, why does anybody give a shit about the OLC? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like in the SDNY, it was like Howell and I think I forget who, maybe Kaplan. But a, a couple judges were just like, "Look, people cite to this, but like they have no authority. They don't. They're, yeah, who, what, what do they know? Like they're, they're who the they're fuck not binding do you think you are, and who yeah. do you think you're fucking talking to? I'm an Article Three District Court judge. My entire job, the Constitution says, is to interpret this shit. Yeah, and you're just telling me, listen. Uh, my guy told me a bunch of times in a row, and that makes it true. Yeah. And, and it's fitting that this only happened when, like, this was, like, in relation to the OLC memo that said a sitting president can't be criminally indicted, which is, like, hamstrung the Mueller investigation. And so it's only when things are totally irrevocably broken already that someone's like, things maybe don't seem right here, <laughs> you know, like, way too late. Way, way past uh, the point of no return uh, on this. Right. But 
Just uh, pour, pouring one out for the for the Mueller uh, investigation. <laughs> uh, now the invention. You know, I really I really thought that was was going somewhere. <laughs> oh, I was man, sure. If, we'd, if we had been doing this podcast, Jerry, that we would have had some fun with that thing. Uh, okay, so so the background here to the Libya memo just is that. Um, we're skipping pages and pages of it so that way we can have a timely recorded podcast. Uh, the setup is the UN tells Qaddafi not to go into Benghazi. They tell him he the Arab Spring is going on. There's a revolution going on all across North Africa. And uh, Qaddafi does start heading into Benghazi. Or at least that's that's what intelligence says. I don't, I don't know how much I'm... Uh, repeating, you know, State Department propaganda or whatever. But that, but that's what their understanding is. So the Obama admin requests a memo from OLC asking if it has authority to conduct military operations in Libya. And let's jump into the arguments. Who wants to talk about those? Well, there there were two main ones, right? There was that they needed to do this to uh, give credibility to the United Nations Security Council, right? Was the first one. Yep. Um. And so and the second one had to do with migrants um, as people seeking asylum. And so so we'll take them one at a time. And, and so, you know, the idea is that, like, you know, if the U.N. issues this edict like Gaddafi, you better not go into Benghazi. And then he does and nothing happens. Well, the, the U.N. looks stupid and ineffectual. And that's like weakening to us Can't and allies. That. And yeah, it's going to destabilize the world order and blah, 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 blah whatever um and so i guess it kind of makes sense that we have to you know bomb Qaddafi to make the un look legitimate and make their because we all we all know the un has no ability to act itself, <laughs> right. right like <laughs> if we don't act unilaterally uh, the un right. uh, will just sit there twiddling its thumbs and look bad uh, we can't have that but right? but yeah so that's sort of the thing right like the un's whole charter is that like they have the monopoly on violence and like you can't go get into wars without the UN's backing. It has to be like a multilateral thing. So the U S sort of unilaterally going into Libya doesn't give force to the UN. It totally undermines the UN by proving that we do whatever the fuck we want, whenever we want, regardless of what the UN says. Right, we're sitting here waving a piece of paper and saying, listen, the UN Security Council told you not to do this, and now you're doing it. Listen, Congress, I would love to come and, you know, obey the edicts of the Constitution and come ask you guys for permission. What do you want me to do? You want me to let the UN go to shit? This is the fucking UN, man. I gotta They're going to have so much we, egg on their face. <laughs> we got to put a stop to this before they get embarrassed by Qaddafi going into Benghazi. Well, but, like, the UN Charter itself says... The Security Council, you, you have to be authorized to conduct violence. The UN Security Council didn't say if you don't go in, you know, everyone, you know, it's a fucking free for all in there. That's not what it said. It said don't do it. Well, I mean, there's the the layers of, of absurdity here are great, right? Because on the one on the one hand, as you just say, you have uh, the U.S. acting unilaterally to, to preserve the credibility of the United Nations, which, hold, <laughs> which the whole operating thesis of is that you should not act unilaterally, right? And they're not asking the U.N. if it's okay uh, and waiting for them to act. And then they're also uh, not asking U.S. Congress even. You know, like Obama's just uh, jumping the gun on everything. Like, like, God forbid 
we wait for anybody <laughs> anywhere to say this is a good idea aside from a bunch of lawyers in the basement of the DOJ. Yeah, and it gets and it gets even more ridiculous because the vote at the uh, UN Security Council that they're talking about is 10:05 and <laughs> The, the permanent members, if you don't know anything about the U.S. Security Council, there's five permanent members. Uh, it's China, Russia, France, U.K., and the United States. So those are the five permanent members. All five abstain in the vote. The ten other members are rotating members. They come in and out. They have terms. And the ten rotating members all authorize. They say they all vote for this uh, resolution that's being cited in this memo. Now, if you look under the hood of this... The Obama administration is citing to these the, the vote of these ten members and saying, "Look, the, the international community said this is really important. The Security Council, by you know, ten zero vote, ten zero five vote, uh, said this is really important." But if you look at if you know anything about these rotating members, look, getting a spot on the UN Security Council is a great deal for a smaller nation. They wait for this. It's it's, it's exciting to get your turn because foreign aid jumps up. Do you know why? Because you have a vote on the Security Council. Your vote is for sale. So minority members, look, they're not going to get anywhere opposing the United States and the international. Well, it's state. interesting that they're all, that they all voted the same. Yeah, I will say that. Yeah, they um, all. Everybody had the exact same opinion. It wasn't nine one five? But can can somebody explain to me why didn't we vote for this if we thought it was such a big deal? Why are we in the Why are we in the five here abstaining? Well, I mean, there's only speculation on it, but I think uh, I think this is Susan Rice at the time, and I think the whole point is just um, creating a further impression that look, this isn't me. I'm not yeah, the we're one not, doing we're, this. We're we're at, we're agnostic on this. But yeah, the, look, they are making me do this. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah, but my Vanuatu boy... is is absolutely serious <laughs> about this shit. My boys said <laughs> yeah. we got to do it. So look, 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 man. I didn't want to. Guiana is hopping mad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I didn't want to have to do this, but look, you, I guess you pissed my boys off. So the, their vote is not worth anything to them uh, as against the foreign aid that jumps when they're on there, which, you know, you know exactly what it means, which is when the United States states its interests, uh, look, you just say yes and take the check. Yeah. So what this all means is that if you get 10 that's votes. Some, but that is some that is some shady. I'm sorry, but like that's ridiculous. Like, we can't even vote for it, and we're we're paying people to to to, to cape for us. I, I'm sorry. That's that's diplomacy. I'm struggling Charlie. to get my head around that. <laughs> that's how huh? foreign policy is done. That's that's diplomacy I, right I, there. <laughs> I guess I'm just playing normal chess again, and these guys are playing some all other level. They're way ahead of you. And right. then, and then this whole situation ends up getting cited like it's like it's not an absurd circus in the Libya memo. But the whole, but that's its whole point. The whole point of this thing is so that it will provide justification, right? Right. So if you get ten votes for your resolution uh, proposed uh, by Susan Rice of the United States, it's not. It may not be the overwhelming support that this that the people in this memo are painting it as. It's just the United States voting ten times. Right. Yeah. Right. You just bought ten fucking votes and you're voting ten times. You can't. So it's just it's a bullshit reason. It's laundering. We want to do something unilaterally, so we set up these baffles and we set up. We give the impression of consensus action, and then in the memo, these OLC guys who fucking know better. These are creme de la creme people. They know better, and then they cite to this to give the impression that uh, that this thing has the imprimatur of international law. That this that look everybody everybody's on board with this. Everybody wanted us to do this. We had to do it. We can't. We can't let Gaddafi show up, Liechtenstein. 
He's thumbing his nose at Liechtenstein, and it, I, we've got to do something. Yeah, Andorra? You gonna tell those guys to fuck off? Qaddafi's just—he has no respect for him. We gotta—we gotta do something. Okay. Uh, and then there's the refugee argument, which I, I also like. <laughs> yeah, I like the refugee crisis. The uh, you know, which is that look, if there's crazy war in North Africa, there will be a lot of refugees, which seems reasonable. And they might cross the Mediterranean and end up in, you know, Spain, France, all over Europe. And that's those are our allies. And um, that can be destabilizing. Um, so, yeah. Good thing we stopped that. Yeah. <laughs> that's. Um, that's. <laughs> <laughs> Everything worked out in the end. Therefore, we can go to war without congressional authorization. That's the step that I don't quite follow. I don't. I don't get from A to B there necessarily. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make much sense to me. I mean, and part of what's going on here is that they are dancing around the real, uh, the real reason, which is humanitarian intervention. Right. right. Obama gets on TV and says, "We got to prevent a bloodbath here." Right. But you can't do humanitarian intervention. You can't say it because the the international community has not spoken with one voice on this and in fact basically uh countries that are frequently subject to western imperialist uh motives say humanitarian intervention is often the uh is often the the coding that's given to otherwise motivated actions of imperialism and so um you know there's like a g77 i think like 77 countries voted against uh uh, humanitarian intervention as an appropriate basis for uh military action military intervention and so they're, they're dancing around and they're trying to use these rationales that uh don't quite make any sense and i think like the point you were hitting on they don't reach to like they don't reach to to the result here which is we don't have to ask congress for shit like how did congress get so outside of the decision to take military action the constitution says if you want to go to war you got to ask congress but here here the olc is saying well listen this is so critical to our allies that we don't have to ask you and, and, you know, it's an, well, it's, it's an argument that proves way too much, too, right? Like, climate change is going to cause refugees everywhere, and it'll be really destabilizing. But does that mean that, <laughs> you know, we can go start bombing the fucking Brazilian government because they're burning the rainforest? Like, without congressional authorization at that? Like, you know, I Bernie have a, Sanders, I have an President opinion Sanders is like... right here from the Office of Legal Counsel, since you can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can give you a preview. Be if that's what the president says they want to do, so. here's what the OLC is going to fucking say about it. Absolutely. Because you know what? 26 times before we said yes. <laughs> So, so along with evaluating whether the motivations are permissible and, and doing, I mean, I think very little to cover up what the administration actually wants to do, uh, along with that, they have to show that in this memo, they have to show that the executive office has the constitutional or statutory authority right. to do this. Do you have the power to do it? And so I, I mentioned a second ago, but the Constitution reserves the power to declare war to Congress. You clearly have to go to Congress if you want to declare war. And yes, this... but Andy, that depends on what the meaning of war is. Right? <laughs> Say more. Tell tell me more. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I just uh, what what if what if bombing the shit out of somebody in order to depose its uh, you know its its incumbent leader was was not was not war. You know, <laughs> what then? 
That's what not if we even... didn't call that quote <laughs> unquote war? That's not know? even an exaggeration for their arguments. <laughs> what? No, it's a Clintonian bullshit, like <laughs> what? dialed up to eleven. So, so they yeah, Tark sounds like mad. he's joking, but this is literally. This is literally what they argue. So, so they cite back to earlier memos where they decided other uh, interventions, military interventions, were not war for these purposes and therefore did not require congressional authorization. And one they mentioned was, was Haiti. And they were like, well, that was 20,000 troops. And all they were doing was deposing the current ruler and reinstalling a former <laughs> ruler. And they're like, if, I mean, if that's not war, if 20,000 troops... Engaged in regime changes and war, then, well, how is this war? It can't be. Which, like, yeah, interesting point, but, like, you kind of skipped over the part where, like, you decided that wasn't fucking war. Yeah. It clearly is. It's insane. It's an insane idea that that's not war. It's, yeah. Um, but so, so this is this is what these fucking hacks do, is that they cite back to an absurd thing they said before, and they say, well, look, because it predates this, it's now become... You know, it's now accreted some kind of respect because I can put the title of the memo in italics. And uh, <laughs> right. that means that what I said there wasn't fucking stupid. And so my citing to it now isn't stupid either. Well, and and the way the way you get there, right, is the way that we always get there. Um, it's the way we take statistical arguments or anything else, which is if you cut everything up, if you slice the salami fine enough, right, then nothing is anything, right? right? There's just, you know, there's 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 troops and there's shooting and there's bombing and there's airplanes and there's missiles. <laughs> right. But is that war? I don't know. I, I see this and I see that, but um, can you tell me what that means in the aggregate? I'm, I, who knows? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say. Who is to say? Yeah, yeah. So the the, the way they do this uh, is they pull. This move where they say that you take war and you reduce it to its component parts because how are we to know which kind of conflicts and military operations are war? Uh, it, so what we do is we'll, we'll evaluate the plan using nature, scope, and duration. What do you plan to do? How much of it do you plan to do? And how long is that going to go on? And so once we look down at this, listen, there's no land troops here. We're just going to do a little bit of air support. Um, and Maybe one or two months, not that long. Yeah, it's not going to be that long. Look, all we're doing is wars are long. This is short. (laughs) That's right, and and like because this is short, there's no risk of any bigger problem. There's no risk of any um, of this ballooning into something bigger because listen, that's our plan. Our plan is for it to be short, and plans always work out. So, so they so they reduce it down, and and this is this is a move. If you are in law school, this is a move you will be pulling your entire career, and it's it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's your is, number one go to number move. one fucking move. It's the pick and roll of lawyers. <laughs> right. yeah. It's I mean the truly great lawyers. That's what you're good at, right? It doesn't matter how tight an argument or an idea is. It's like finding the thin edge of the wedge, getting it in there, and then just fucking tearing it apart until you have such. A big loophole you can drive a, a truck through it, right? That's right. The, you, that's what good lawyers do. They, yeah, you take their argument from a level of generality at which their conclusion is inevitable. It's obvious. And then you take it down to a level of specificity at which it's impossible. <laughs> I mean, what's it called when you do a military engagement with the purpose of an effect of killing the ruler and overthrowing a government? What the fuck are you supposed to call that? <laughs> 
Well, and and again, I mean, when did this start? Like, uh, this memo's April, right? right? Apparently, they had a a pre a pre call where they where they where they greenlit it sometime before, right? Um, Qaddafi's killed when? Uh, October, right? Uh, then we stop, right? <laughs> yeah, we stopped. At, we stopped about a week later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we couldn't let him go into Benghazi. <laughs> so yeah. So so from hindsight, you know exactly what the fuck they were doing, right? right. What does that tell you about their motivation? No matter what they said about all this migrant right. crisis, and we got to stop. You know, we got to protect the UN. We bombed from April to October, a week after. Uh, a week after Qadhafi, the rebel forces finally find Qaddafi, stab him up the ass with a knife on camera, and Hillary laughs about it in a fucking interview. Uh, she says, uh, "She's." I, I mean, remember that's just the most chilling shit. Honestly, like we came, we saw he died, uh, and then she left. I, yeah. I mean, I need to get that back on. That needs to be said over and over again. I, uh, th- like that was the response of Secretary of State. To yeah. This whole fucking debacle is we came, we saw he died, which is a direct callback to, you know, we came, we saw, we conquered, right? Right. Um, which, again, we kind of did. How <laughs> dumb do you fucking think everybody is here? <laughs> yeah, so they so they lied. And, and, and I think this, this memo in OLC, you could take it two different ways. You could say that, like, the administration told us what it told us about its motivations and then we justified them. Or you can look at like what probably fucking really happened, which is just give me a justification that launders are the action we want to take. And then, and then later they're not thinking about it. They're not trying to like fit their comments after the fact, once they've already succeeded, they're not trying to fit them to the memo to keep the integrity of the memo. They're just out there saying what they always fucking thought, which is, this is for humanitarian aid, and and it's not even that. We're just gonna kill Qaddafi. We're fucking. Let's him. go. Let's see, and let's kill the guy. Let's yeah. kill him. Let's kill the guy. Yeah. So, so, this argument is absurd. This is nakedly war, and the whole idea here it, of this memo is to show that the Obama administration does not need congressional say so in order to go into Libya. But what they've done here is obviously war, and so the constitutional dictate is. Yeah, you fucking do, right? Yeah, and you it's do. It's worth noting we were we pointed out like the absurdity of the Haiti example, but they cite a few things, and it's worth noting that even their examples, when you give them even the little bit of scrutiny beyond the specifics, are are ridiculous because they're it, both yeah. in Kosovo, which they cite to, and in Haiti. After the fact, Congress decided that the. The executive did need congressional <laughs> authorization. It wasn't authorized. Did not at all, agree yeah. with the OLC at all in those cases. It was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? This is clearly war, and you clearly need our say so to do this." Like, uh, yeah. remember the case that we said yes that one time, and we're later told that we were completely fucking wrong. Uh, <laughs> remember, we, we, let's cite that case. We said yes, and we're saying yes now, and so that makes sense. Yeah, it's the same yeah, thing. Part of the part of the separation of powers uh, precedent here that this is that this is trying to be in conversation with is that uh, various Supreme Court justices have tried to figure out what where can Congress limit executive authority when it comes to like military powers when it comes to any sort of action, and um, when it comes to like international stuff like this or military action. 
when Congress is said to, say, acquiesce to the executive action, or they allow it to go passed without comment or without opposition then uh for some reason the law is this way it doesn't really make any fucking sense to me but they sort of feel like it re- it's revealing the president says it's like revealing uh something about the constitutional structure we know how the bodies interoperate because we can see in practical examples how they do here but if you really want to make that argument in this memo you probably need to, as you cite Kosovo and Haiti and, and whatever else, you probably need to have some discussion about what Congress said. You can't just say they acquiesced because you did it before, because when you look under the hood, like Michael's saying, they fucking didn't. There was a resolution uh, Which, that, w- that was put up to, uh, to a floor vote to, uh, you know, to authorize the military intervention in Kosovo, and it got voted down. What, what more do you want from Congress? They said, fuck off. And that's like a in in courts. That's like a classic tool of like interpretation, right? When you when you're looking at a statute, it's like, well, did a version of this get raised for a vote and rejected? Like that's important information about congressional intent. You know, things they reject are just as important for courts um, as things Congress accepts. Well, but you don't and, even have to go that far. You know, sort of the, the sort of the negative argument, right? Which would, right. because if in court. You went to the judge and you said, uh, this case uh, was decided this way by the trial court. <laughs> Ergo, you should you know, decide my way today. And then your opposing counsel points out that actually that case was reversed <laughs> entirely by the appellate court. You probably will get sanctioned for that shit. Right? Like, yeah. Yes. If you say a case means the opposite of what yeah. it does, yes, that's a perfect fucking example. Yeah, you, cite, you cite to the, the, the trial court, you know, below the the, the seminal appellate court case uh, that reversed it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 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 lunacy. Right. So it's we, lunacy. We, we've kind of sped through this memo as fast as we can, but like, I hope you get the impression that some of these arguments don't make any fucking sense at all, and the people involved in making them are not stupid. The only way you even fix your fucking mouth to say this stuff is if you think nobody's going to be looking what what tark just says is really important because nobody is on the other side when you get in and you're making this opinion there is no counsel on the other side who's like winding up to bat and is going to hit your shit out of the park because you used a site that means the opposite of what you said it did they know that no one's looking at this it's just going to be some professor who writes a comment you know that gets published in a law review nobody reads that and a comment nobody reads and it's published eight months after the fact and it's like googleable you know uh five years later nobody gives a fuck about that well the fact that dumbasses like us can see right through this uh you know should tell you something that's the real thing right like we're not experts we're not scholars i'm not you know i didn't grade on to the faculty or anything like that but this is not hard shit you can tear this thing apart yeah, it's like I mean, it, you read the if you read this in law school, at least thirty percent of your dumbass classmates will, will see right through it, if not more. Every time you run into somebody who seems to be a bad actor in the world doing something, the the puzzle, right, is is this person, is this person evil or stupid, right? It's like the classic yeah. inquiry. These right. these people are. They are creme de la creme. The work they're doing is some of the most interesting you can possibly do. These people are at the top of the mountain in government. All the most interest they can see every single agency. The most interesting new issues get brought before them to either adjudicate or give an opinion on. Um, agencies settle their disputes before they go to them uh, because this is, because they're seen as so high within the executive. So like if a new if a new part of the NSA wants to do something and a new part and and some old part of you know. 
uh, some other part of, of like DHS wants uh, to govern that same area. They might have to they might have to fight it out, but then they'll they'll settle their dispute before they go to the OLC. Um, that's how that's how they're regarded, right? They have they have heavy weight uh, in the. Well, it's a golden book. ticket too. It absolutely is. You are going as high as you want after it. And if you want to sit still, you can expect some of the most interesting work uh, that any lawyer gets anywhere. You, this is not some flunky job. Fail sons don't end up here. No. So it. So these people know what they're fucking doing. I'm sorry. I, I can't see it any other way. So you're saying evil. They're evil. <laughs> yeah. They're fucking evil. Not stupid. I mean, it's it's a literal like they they're selling their souls for. You know, for for prestige, for a great well, job, I, for a cushy. This is lawyer brain. Golden I'll parachute. say, I'll yeah. say, I'll say, I'll say in their defense that um, there's a difference between immoral and amoral. Yeah. Um, and maybe they're just amoral. I guess, I guess, I have to tip it over, and I know this is this is branching farther into philosophy than we're probably qualified to do. But at the point that you are at the center, you're the only. I mean, it's not like the. The administration is really hiring anybody to look at the moral side of things, but the lawyers are as close as you get. Is this proper yeah. or not? And and you're a guy who has no moral center, and you're sitting in here, and you're like, well, I don't know. Tell me what you want to do. What do you want to do? You want to launch a thousand Tomahawk missiles into this place? Sure, I'll figure out a way to tell you to do that. Sounds fun to me. I'll solve that problem. Yeah. I don't think there's anything to say. (laughs) 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 That's like, there's no, there's no getting around it. That's like. Well, in the cor- in the course of preparing for this episode, you and I, Michael and I, were talking about. Um, we, we both ended up uh, fixating on stories about a member of the Obama administration, and we decided to talk about him, which is Jay Johnson. And Jay Johnson yeah. is the former general counsel for the Department of Defense. And right. uh, Michael, you want to talk about and, him? And, and I think he was secretary at DHS for a little while as well. But great guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw him talk, um, and he was talking about. Um, drone courts and the idea was like well how the fuck are we going to put any sort of legal patina on you know the targeted killing program and some people thought (laughs) well maybe we could have little courts like fisa courts drone courts that like issue death warrants like if you think you got a guy you want to drop a bomb on him you go and you put your your intelligence in front of the judge and see what they say And, and jay johnson thought this was like ridiculous like the idea that like anybody other than you know the cia and dhs and uh you know the white house should have any say in this um was absurd but in in the course of the symposium he took a bunch of questions and somebody asked well like you know the authority here like the source of authority is very unclear and and one thing you cite is the authorization to use military force which was like 
signed in the wake of uh, 9-11 and was used to justify the incursions in Afghanistan and Iraq and, and a lot of shit. And, you know, the question was, well, like, how does that, how does the AUMF um, impose restrictions on this program? How does that sort of circumscribe your power? Since this is where you're deriving authority from, you know, there must be limits to that. Yeah, and, what are the limits that come out of that? Yeah, and, uh, and his response was literally, well, no limits at all, <laughs> except to the the list of people you can target because the AUMF specifically refers to like people involved in the planning or you know execution of the 9/11 attacks basically so al-Qaeda and their associates essentially and so he's that's so that's like that's it it's the only limits it impl- imposes on us at all which was kind of shocking and inconsistent with what courts have said about the AUMF as well but setting that aside I thought that was a ridiculous answer at the time, but then I think Andy has an interesting story. <laughs> that, that yeah, so, like, so in the course of this. discussing this, this triggered a story in my mind that I heard from somebody who was in these conversations and also that you can find some pieces of in, in various books about the administration. It's really funny that the thing that the one limit he admitted uh, exists in the AUMF is who you can target because that's exactly what this story is about. And this story is about a guy named Warsame. Warsame is uh, I'm gonna try to do as fast a, uh, a prologue to the story as I can. But Warsame is is a member of Al Shabaab. Al Shabaab operates in Somalia and West Africa, and they uh, they do a lot of killings. They they've I think they blew up like a, a they're famous for like blowing up this medical school graduation. They've done uh, some of like the Boko Haram stuff. I think they've been involved with. Um, bad anyway, dudes. Out, bad, bad guys. So, uh, so Warsame gets gets picked up. He does gun running between uh, between AQAP and Al Shabaab. I think who's AQAP is another terrorist group, and uh, they are questioning him and they're looking to prosecute him. And there's a lot of issues uh, with Warsame's prosecution and detention and questioning that are outside the scope uh, of this episode. But the interesting, one of the interesting parts pertinent to this story is that Warsame, uh, Jay Johnson says, well, look, we can't prosecute this guy before the military, under, under the Military Commissions Act. We can't prosecute him basically in military courts. And the reason is that we can't establish a basis to connect Warsami to Al-Qaeda, which is something we would have to do in order to get him in under the Military Commissions Act because we'd have to, we'd have to attach him to AUMF in some way. And like you just said, AUMF is kind of limited to people who are connected to you know, the people who carried out the 9-11 attacks, like Al-Qaeda. And we can't connect this guy to Al-Qaeda, so we can't do it. And so, so he says the people who should prosecute him are the SDNY prosecutors or, or, or some other, you know, some other U.S. attorneys should take care of this. And what they say is, what are you fucking talking about? You've been <laughs> droning people. You're droning people from Al-Shabaab all the fucking time. You don't have a, you don't have a rationale connecting them to the AUMF. <laughs> Who's writing the fucking memos droning them? Now, Char- Charlie Savage in his Power Wars book talks about this thing, but he misses this implication. He, he, he just moves on to their further discussion or something, but he doesn't talk about this part, and I think, I think it's a really essential part. It's a miss there, which is, how are you? How the, are, you guys are droning Al-Shabaab people. Don't you need 
some kind of connection to AUMF and you don't fucking have one? <laughs> right. The one the one limit he explicitly recognizes and they totally ignore it and give it no thought whatsoever. They're just right. like at all. Like totally the, the only limitation is who we can target. But it turns out nobody's even fucking thinking about that. <laughs> Nobody cares. They're, they're like, Oh, we got we got an Al Shabaab guy on our sites, let's just fucking drop a bomb on He's him and fucking worry about dead, it later. yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so, you know, the U.S. attorneys, they don't want this shit. They're just, it's a fucking mess. And they got to take a lot of complicated issues because the DOD did a lot of shit while they had him. Um, right. They got to take a lot of complicated issues to court. And they're like, look, why don't you handle it? And he says, well, I can't. Uh, so wh- what you're looking at here is everybody's playing hot potato now because nobody wants to support or defend the executive action. Now that somebody outside, a judge, is actually going to ask questions about it. An opposing counsel is going to prepare memos and briefs on it, and it's going to question you and ask you to support your propositions. Because as you can see, these are not well-supported propositions, just like this memo. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody nobody wants to be the guy who has to, like, mouth this in public. Like, no, everybody's running for cover. Yeah, it's it's all well and good when it's when it's a classified memo, but 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 when you have to defend it in in front of somebody else, it's like, well, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, want to put my name on that. Yeah, and so my my position on a lot of this stuff is is I'm I'm I hope it's becoming clear, but my position on a lot of this stuff is that you need more of an adversarial system here when somebody needs to be pushing back on this shit, so that way they have to sharpen their arguments and test their sites, like. So I, I know this from, you know, I'm not one of these guys. I'm not like a NATSEC genius or whatever. But, you know, I do trial law, and I know that pre-trial, everybody's a fucking genius. Your case is amazing. The other guy's a moron. The other lawyer's a moron. The other client, like, you can't even see how they could possibly think they're ready to walk in the court against you. And the night before trial, you I want to kill myself because <laughs> all the holes in my arguments are looming, and it's clear that they're going to destroy me. They are going to drive a fucking steamroller over me and I, there's no way that the judge is going to see through every inch of my bullshit i'm probably going to get sanctioned because litigation and testing your conclusions against against an opponent makes you sharpen the issues it makes you check your math and it's harrowing and when you want to do some of this shit if you want to prosecute somebody and render them and question them if you want to launch uh, tomahawk missiles or as we're just about to talk about in a second you know kill people summarily execute people by droning it fucking should be harrowing and somebody should be opposing it you know uh as the token muslim (laughs) of the podcast i i just want to say i i just want to say that uh, i do not necessarily agree with andy's characterization of al-shabaab as bad guys or (laughs) aq ap as quote-unquote terrorist group So the, the next moment we're going to talk about uh, is another OLC masterpiece uh, during <laughs> during the Obama administration. And it is um, not as funny as I'm uh, making it out to be. So, <laughs> no, it's not. It's, 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 it's actually negative funny. It's, it's yeah. negative funny. So it's the memo uh, by which the OLC justifies to the administration that it, it has the authority to kill an American citizen 
in the person of Anwar Al-Awlaki. So, uh, Al-Awlaki is an American citizen. He is supposed Al-Qaeda, um, and the decision is made to kill him with a drone. Um, but the question is, how do you justify that? Because when you have an American citizen, they, they have you know they have rights. You have rights. Uh, and one of the rights you have, at least under the Fifth Amendment, is the right to due process. And so if somebody's going to remove, you know, some property or liberty interest from you, if the government is going to. Such as y- y- your life. Such as uh, being alive. Yeah. <laughs> you're owed some due process. The government is required to offer you some kind of due process. And that, um, so that's the subject of this moment. You can't, you can't just feed a man to giant spiders without benefit of counsel. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Something that I sort of appreciated in a very morbid way about it is this this opinion is kind of the way it's like this is precisely what we're talking about with like lawyerly moves where they're basically like, look, you know, if there were a bunch of U.S. soldiers in a trench in World War Two and there was a U.S. citizen on the other side of the field wearing a Nazi uniform in a trench with a bunch of Nazis, you could definitely kill that guy. So. We know we can kill U.S. citizens without <laughs> without any process in certain scenarios, and the question is really, what's the line? Where is it? And is Alaki, you know, on this side of the line or that side of the line? And and as it turns out, you you would never believe it, but he's on the side of the line that lets you bomb him. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to stick up too much for my boy Anwar here, but like I, I have to say, it's not just that he, you know came over here and scammed some immigration court into giving him citizenship. Right? The guy was born here. He had university positions here. He had an ample arrest record for patronizing prostitutes here. He did um, he, he, <laughs> he was invited to speak at various government agencies and other things post 9-11 as kind of a, you know, Muslim voice of some of some renown. I mean, this guy is genuinely like an American dude. And 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 his as I understand his because this gets important because they 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 need to make him out to be a combatant. Right. right? He can't just be some kook who like ran off to Yemen and you know is doing like a podcast, right? Like right. It, the, he had to be an operational leader. Uh, in order to justify uh, literally like lighting the man on fire from from a satellite, it's a critical uh, determination. And yeah. and I mean this this guy his he was not like some dude who cut his teeth in the caves of Afghanistan, you know, lobbing grenades at you know Ruskies like uh, out, you know uh, 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 what's his face. Um, Come on, the 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 the, the good terrorist uh, Osama. Uh, Osama bin Laden. Exactly. He's he's not he's not a guy that that these people in Al Qaeda would respect because they were in the trenches together, like getting right. trench foot. I mean, this guy's pure value to the Al Qaeda operation was his Americanness, his ability to speak English, his ability to communicate a value proposition of Al Qaeda to Americans. Like this guy was not just accidentally American. His Americanness was what he had for, to, for sale. Uh, and he went abroad to proselytize two Americans in the U.S. to undertake small acts of terrorism 
uh, in their hometowns, you know, like the the San Bernardino guy or other guys, right? Right. right. Um, so this isn't just like some technicality. The guy's like a legit, like like he's he's like me, but cool. And it's, <laughs> it's it's specifically, I mean, if you read if you read any of the the history around it, it's specifically what terrifies from Congress through the the agency bodies about it the thing that they always hit they never present any evidence for the idea that he was specifically involved in any plots uh what they talk about is this guy speaks english you don't have to put Perfect. subtitles at the bottom look yeah. that i mean that's crazy of course we got to kill him and, and and the memo spends a lot of time at length justifying why you can kill someone who's not necessarily involved in plots right like that's like a big obvious focus of it yeah it's also a big obvious tell about what fucking <laughs> right. evidence they have as to whether he's involved in any yeah. of these plots it's very very much broadcasting what was on their mind yeah 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 so that's another way that okay i will say this um these guys are really smart and i won't let them get away with a lot of stuff but sometimes they do do genuinely stupid stuff like that that just like reveals right it reveals something that i don't think they mean to reveal right and so, so the basic gist um, is, you know, people have a, a liberty interest in their own life. <laughs> and, One would think, yeah. And um, that's that's a matter of you know settled constitutional law, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um, and uh, before the government can deprive them of that liberty interest, uh, it has to engage in a certain balancing test. Um, which we get from a case that has to do with like depriving somebody of social security disability <laughs> <laughs> benefits. <laughs> so this is like, this just like to get to the absurdity of this. I mean, I don't mean to laugh about something so horrific, but it's like a test designed around when you can withdraw someone's disability benefits is being used to determine whether or not you can bomb someone into into in their truck from the air yeah while they're driving around doing air but but hilariously you will see that they don't even get close to meeting this test (laughs) 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 not even not even in the same ballpark uh, at all it's a fucking joke yeah the the test under matthews v eldridge uh and this is again somebody you know being relieved of uh social security benefits uh, is that you look at the interest of the individual in retaining the property or the or the liberty interest um, and the injury that's going to be inflicted by the official action that's being taken. In this case, pretty easy. The guy's going to get drone and fucking die. So the stakes are as high as they can possibly get. Um, then you look at uh, the risk of error through the procedure used. What what is the risk of erroneous deprivation, and is there any additional procedure we could provide to make sure that we're not removing this, uh, you know, your life erroneously? Right. Then the the last part of the test is a cost benefit analysis as to whether it's worth it to implement the additional <laughs> procedure. And the idea is that like there are diminishing returns. Eventually, you can add and you can try and you can test enough that like you're not getting any closer to the goal here. You just need to make a call. And so, so the national security context, that would be something like, can we apprehend this guy instead of bombing him? Can we pick him up? Right. That's that's basically like, well, I'm going to challenge that. That's the only thing they can do. I think that's what the memo wants you to think that that's sure. all they can do. That's, right? that, that's well, what they offer. Right. What the memo says is, look, 
if we can pick them up, fine. If we can't pick them up, then we can drone them. And then, of course, what they get to do with that is say, oh, that's too dangerous. We're not going to risk somebody's life for this fucking guy. He's a terrorist. Fuck him. We're, we're going to go into the Pakistani mountains? Yeah, impossible. Impossible. It's impossible yeah. to capture this guy. If you know what's not impossible to do? Hit him with a missile in his truck from the air. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can't can't send people into Yemen. No, nobody even knows where that is. Uh, you know, we could certainly fly like three Harriers and seven drones to launch like a battery of missiles at a bunch of trucks we think he's in. Right. So the question is, with due process is always like, what process is due? Right. And given the <laughs> intense interests on both sides, right? Alaki's interest in his life, the government's interest ostensibly in like defending Taking his... him off the board <laughs> right because he's <laughs> inciting terror and blah 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 right um and so the memo says well the process you're due is this an informed high-level official of the government has to determine that you that he poses an imminent threat of violent attack against the united states capture is infeasible and uh the operation is conducted consistent with the principles of law, international laws of war, um, which is basically laws of war are, you know, how much are, are you able to distinguish between the target and civilians? How proportional is this to the threat? How much are you limiting collateral damage? Um, if I drone the guy's house and it's right after a wedding and there's 75 people in there, you may have difficulty. Well, I mean, not if you're United States government, but like uh, you <laughs> may you have difficulty. If you're a normal person. If you're a normal person, you may have difficulty uh, logically stating, even if you believe and assume all of the bad things about uh, Alaki, uh, you may have difficulty proving that you've properly distinguished the target from non-combatants and that this is a proportional response. You just killed 75 people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what's like sort of salient about this like process is how if you give it any thought, how completely inadequate it is. Right. It's it doesn't address it's nonsense. Like, yeah. Who made this decision? Um, who's checking the work? Uh, what, what sort of hearing, if any, was there? What, what sort of quality of intelligence are you off? Are, are you operating under? Um, what's the burden of proof? And, uh, you know, and importantly also all these all these decisions all these uh determinations are being housed in the same singular branch of government which is the you know the executive branch it's it's being it's happening the president the cia the military that's like pretty much that's it yet this memo should be completely different right it's a memo about due process and what it says is it pats you on the head and says, don't worry about it. Somebody real smart behind the security door thought about it, okay? They so you don't have to fuck... intelligence. Yeah, don't fucking worry about it. Look, somebody wrote a memo, and some there's a there's a nice folio with some pictures in it, and then a geo map on it with a big fucking bullseye on it. And, like, you don't... We don't know who the decision maker is. We don't know if they're impartial or not. Spoiler, they're fucking not. Uh, we <laughs> As don't, we've shown. We don't know if there's any, like, is... This memo should be completely fucking different. The due process memo forgot to talk about procedure. It starts. It starts with the proposition: we got a guilty man. What do we do? But yeah. But if you <laughs> when did we dis- get there? How did we get there? Yeah. Who? How do we find that? Who out? decided that? Yes, it's a massive miss to cite 
to Matthews v. Eldridge, which was a three-part procedural <laughs> test, and skip the fucking procedure by which you arrived at the conclusion. <laughs> and all they do is hand wave and say, well, we can't capture him, so we can't do any of that shit. But there's a million options you could come up with. What about somebody who just uh, who just stands for his proposition? Who, who just says, okay, look, I'm going to check your math, and I'm going to resist you, and I'm being hired by the administration to resist you, you know? Yeah, try him in absentia. Try him in absentia? Fuck, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but you're going to drone him in absentia? And, and this even like the, the even the tests that they lay out like offer some potential. You could see like the outline of what could be legal standards there. Like imminence is he an imminent threat? And and you could imagine what a legal test for imminence would look like. What would be adequate evidence um, for like the imminence of a threat? Right? That like a court or some other neutral observer could evaluate. You could bring them. You know, and this again goes right back to like the idea of like the drone courts that Jay Johnson was like, "You fucking kidding me?" (laughs) And this really, this really matters for this really matters for Alaki because the thing with Alaki that, unfortunately or otherwise, the guy is like a preacher, and he is a preacher who's advocating violence. However, this. The only evidence that they have that he ever really participated in plots or something is just the fact that people who did violence came into contact with him. What they found is that he's an effective preacher. Now, like it or not, I mean, the First Amendment generally protects the idea to advocate violent resistance. It just does, right? That's that's Brandenburg v. Ohio. Well, dipshits on Twitter are constantly talking about refreshing the tree of liberty with blood every now and then. All the fucking time. What is this guy saying other than, you know, stand up against the great Satan if you live there? And quite honestly, uh, I'm starting to think he makes a little bit of sense. People are (laughs) rate... Tark. Oh, Tark, God you, damn you it. Somebody's calling my employer Muslim again, aren't they? He's yeah. saying oh, that. I'm cutting this. <laughs> okay, the guy is uh, making sense. Dear, dear uh, CIA who's just tuned into this podcast, <laughs> I would like to say that I disagree with Tark. I think Alaki, not a great guy in my Look, opinion. I'm actually, not saying Alaki didn't deserve it. <laughs> Probably. This memo is actually starting to sound pretty good to me. Yeah, right on the money, actually. Now that I think about it, should have thrown that guy. So, so what you have here is, I mean, sorry, I lost my spot here. But look, these people cited to Matthews v. Eldridge for a procedure test, and they skipped the fucking procedure. They swept it all under the rug and said, don't worry about it. The high-level official thought about it. The only way you do this, if you are a smart person writing a memo, is because just like with the last one, just like with Jay Johnson, you don't think anybody else is going to read this. You don't think anybody... So they, they think it's... You just want something for the drawer. That's it. This happens because they thought it was private. They said any fucking thing, and they get busted when this white paper gets leaked. Right. And, and I mean, like, I think it's instructive to go back and look at like El- Matthews v. Eldridge, right? And like the process that ultimately was due for oh my god, social yeah. security disability, you know, the rescinding of that. And it was like multiple letters and notice and hearings and I don't think they sent Alaki a single notice of <laughs> I think he did not, was not given notice of the droning and an opportunity to challenge it. <laughs> At the post office with a stern letter. Yeah. This is true, though. Like, if if you... Okay, so this is bad news for a lot of you who are probably defaulted, any lab listeners defaulted on your student loans. But one of the, one of the primary ways that the, that the government sometimes collects debts is it garnishes pay, monies that are owed to you. Now, there's a 
there's a ceiling on on the amount of social security benefits they can garnish but they do they do garnish social security benefits and unfortunately the government ends up collecting all the defaulted uh student loans and so if you are somebody who you know stopped paying your student loans 15 years ago and then you start collecting social security and they say oh sorry we're gonna we're gonna give you a haircut of 150 dollars a month or something uh, you, they got to send you a notice. They got to send you a letter that says, listen, this is what we're thinking about doing. This is our basis for doing it. You have a chance to respond. You have a chance to provide evidence. You have a chance to say, look, you got the wrong guy. You know how many Bob Johnsons are? I've never been to fucking college. You got, you know, say whatever you're going to say, but you have a chance to respond. They might have to give you a hearing. They might have, you, they have to advise you of your appeal rights. You can go beyond the agency and say, listen, court, the, the agency got this wrong. Uh, None of that is here. Now, now Tarek's pointing out some of the absurdities with trying to offer that sort of process, but think about the lengths to which you go to stop somebody from losing $150 a month who's on a fixed income, okay? And then think about the lengths you could go more than just, look, somebody in the National Security Council uh, said in between coffee sips that you're a bad guy. And and, and I think, like, the, the imminence idea is important here because it's, like, the memo specifically says, well, like, you might think imminent threat means like immediate threat. <laughs> and that would be a mistake. And if you did, you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. And <laughs> yeah. you might think it means engaged in ongoing plotting of a violent attack, but it's also not that. And it's really just, are you an Al-Qaeda? And right. if you're an Al-Qaeda, you're an imminent threat. And we don't have to know... you whether or not you're involved in any plotting and you don't even have to be involved in any plotting or in any violence. And if you are, it doesn't have to be anytime soon. It's just, if you're an Al Qaeda, you're an imminent threat. And, and they need to say this because they want to get the, they want to get the guy who speaks English. Look, they just want to kill him. They want him out of the fucking way because they see him as a dangerous preacher. Fine. Well, but and, this memo and, is bullshit. And the, there's a few things here, but again, I, that has to be said. All the, the the this guy's sole value to AQ was 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 his facility in English and his ability to speak to an American audience, and his ability, therefore, in their minds to rile up internal assets uh, sleeping, you know, for for AQ. A, B, Obama, who you think is like this, you know, noble guy who you know like. To, least you know wrestles with his demons before he goes to bed etc as i understand it basically told people when it came to this person who had done nothing i mean literally i don't think had the capacity to load a, a, a an ak-47 um you know like he was willing to consider nuking his home even if there were children in it uh, he had, he and that he was willing to board. waive his general his general objection to collateral damage when it came to this guy. I mean, this guy really like fucking got in their head somehow uh, yeah. because Obama was willing to waive it. And then I think we, as you say in your outline, Andy, uh, they undercounted <laughs> the cost, right? Because everybody's assuming that the interest here is is in Alaki's life, but. He wasn't the only one who bit it, right? No, like they right. nuked, like they went after him at least three times, as far as I can tell from the news reporting, including one where he gave them the slip somehow and got into a second truck and sent his friends off in his truck and they bombed his truck and killed like his two friends. 
Right. But, you know, they're Yemenis who gives a shit. Right. Um, <laughs> There's no memo on those two guys. No. <laughs> but then uh, they finally get him in his actual truck. And, like, they hit him at least three times in that truck with, with the missile. And he's confirmed dead in part because they find this dagger he has uh, with a rhino horn bone handle, which uh, right there, I, I've decided I hate the guy. Uh, <laughs> how do you have a rhino horn dagger? Anyway, um, he, and deserved then, the, he deserved and, getting drones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I suddenly stopped giving a shit. Uh, but then, but then, but then later, like after he's dead, they kill his kid. His right. Son. 16. 16-year-old 16 son at a barbecue in Yemen. Hanging out with his friends. Uh, can I just point out that his son, also born in the U.S., moved to Yemen uh, and uh, also an American citizen? Yeah, it's, um, really, it's, it's a really it's really interesting example because all the, you know, this, this decision, Aliki was the first... Uh, you know, droning of an American citizen. And so it did have some hubbub about it. And you see all these people coming out of the, even the attorney general, Eric Holder, gets on TV to talk about it and says, listen, we did this thing just right. And he's kind of reading off of this memo and saying, we did it according to the law of war principles um, with distinction and proportionality. Uh, and he's talking about al but, uh But what he doesn't talk about in that quote and what like is essential is that when you went and killed his teenage son and all his friends in a backyard barbecue, you really think that that's that's according to law of war principles? What's your fucking call there that a kid, whoever's kid, is, 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 you know, ripe for being murdered and everybody he knows? Well, and I've seen some post hoc justification that, you know, hey, if you were such a great dad, like, why did you let your kid uh, join Al Qaeda? It's he didn't right like the father was American and brought the had a Lockie in the U.S. and then a Lockie had his kid in the U.S. and everybody kind of went back to Yemen under various circumstances or whatever. But um, the kid was living with the grandparents. Well, the standard for I mean, just just to cut through the bullshit here, the standard for getting killed is not having a good dad or not. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, the kid like ran away at the last minute to like go see his dad, and then got bombed. You Fucking know, unreal. he wasn't he wasn't even like he was just some doofus, you know, like living in so, like his grandfather's compound uh, away from even the dad. Like it's not like he, the dad had the kid in the car with him or that shit they were pulling with the with the recent. Uh, 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 the Trump assassination that they just pulled off where he said he ran with the two kids down the hallway and ran into right. the tunnel and, and blew up his vest and killed. Like it wasn't even that situation. The kid was like some, not even living with the dad and was like at some whole, whole other location and somehow accidentally. Well, I just, I just want to back up there for a second. You said the grandfather had a compound. That sounds like an imminent threat. Yeah, it's exactly. to go for me. <laughs> no, no, it's just a typical. I mean, it's just a typical Arab with the you know a, a large house and slaves. Yeah, so to, so to so to zero back in. So to zero back, in, <laughs> to zero back in on the memo, um, you know what the, what the memos are, are considering and what the determinations are considering is the due process rights of the citizen. Now, 
all of uh, Alaki's friends who got killed with him, they're not citizens. So there are no memos for them. Nobody gives a fuck about them. It's assumed you can kill them, all right? These are five, right. six innocent lives. You may destroy a cafe. You may destroy the local business. You may uh, inflict terror on a region or a city that knows that death comes from the sky. Uh, right. you, you open the gates of hell in some place. And none of this is calculated in the memo because the calculation is automatically and artificially limited to look this what's citizens due process which yeah so go ahead oh i was just gonna say it's like the the only way that's ever recognized is in like the laws of war which say you have to like limit civilian casualties basically but not eliminate them which is you know because that you can never perfectly eliminate civilian casualties right and so that's precisely the sort of loophole that like lawyers love to yeah and you you can summarize the the distinction and proportionality stuff easily by looking at do you guys remember when they dropped the moab and that was a big thing the mother (laughs) right so what they decided was (laughs) you can see the distinction of proportionality analysis well everybody in that thing was isis (laughs) <laughs> yeah women children anybody was right there's all isis so they're they're supporting isis and that's that's all they do you just you just give a dog yeah. a bad name and hang him that's what they do yeah so so what this what this ultimately drills down to is like the lawyers should not be doing the moral determinations of what's going on here lawyers don't belong in this fucking inquiry you know when you're coming to like life and death issues and, and distinguishing who needs to get killed or not in some cases the lawyers may not they may be obscuring uh, yeah. the what's moral and what's correct because they're not going to be very good at detecting it. All they look is they look for rationales that will make something permissible. Although I think, and I hope we try to show you during this episode that even in this case, they're not doing a fucking good job. No. They're not even 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 the loose standards that exist. They're not fitting the facts to them because they assume nobody's reading this shit. But they lead the discussion. They command it. They impose the doctrine on it, and they lead to these absurd conclusions. That leave out the most important factors, like, say, all the other people who get killed, like the two guys in the truck, and we have no fucking idea who they are or what happened to them, uh, or, or, or why any anything would justify killing them, uh, because lawyers are just, like, childishly pointing to the framework of, look, we're just talking about the citizens' due process, but never acknowledging that that framework has been no selected. No process was due, those guys. Yeah, fuck it. It's just been selected specifically for its permissiveness. The reason we're looking at the citizens' due process is so we don't have to look at anything else fucking cowards so that i guess that's your that, that's your central piece of like lawyer brain right is that well, but, is, people but, are fucking but, cowards. but uh, i mean like i think those guys go to sleep at night yeah. writing this shit where they okay like just kill this american because you don't like what he's saying over in yemen um and you know dangerous shit i mean i'm not i'm not gonna yeah. Uh, let's let's just let's just agree for sake of argument that he's saying like psychotic shit, but you don't like it, so let's let's kill him, and fuck it, we don't care if we kill a bunch of other people trying to kill him. Uh, we don't and we don't care about maybe if there are people in the way when we kill him. In fact, at the time we were successful, and in fact, whoops, we also a week or two later killed his kid somehow. I I don't know how that happened, but okay, fine. And I think they justify that all because there's a good man ultimately making the call. Right? right. Like Obama, you know, was a good man. And he was, you know, he was wrestling with this. And he had some qualms about it. But at the end of the day, this is what you got to do. 
You got to break a few eggs to make an omelet, that kind of shit. Yeah. If you press, sorry to interrupt you really quickly, but if you press any of these guys, they'll say like, you don't really know what we know. Like the Mm -hmm. actual decision makers will say like, look, we're privy to all sorts of information and you don't understand. And like, I felt the same way you did when I was on the outside. I was totally like, this is. But ultimately we did, we did what we had to do. Right. But But, once I got there, it was different. That's what they'll say. But but when you look at the leaks and when you look at like what comes out on these things, they took heat for the, for the Alaki decision. They took heat for the decision to kill his son. And if they had evidence that, that linked Alaki to actual plots, not just like he met the Fort Hood shooter. He may have, you know, he may have met three of the hijackers, the 9-11 hijackers. He happened, uh, he, he met with uh, Abdul Muttalab, the, the underpants bomber. Um, if they had evidence that he was actually, you know, passing on and assisting in their plots, they would have fucking dropped it. Okay. Absolutely. They would have leaked that shit Absolutely. For sure. So but, they don't fucking have it. But But even beyond that, I think the point, Tarek was sort of winding up to before I before I bigfooted him was Thank that you. like <laughs> was uh, that when you when you create the machinery of death like this, um, even if you take it seriously and even if you wrestle with it, even if all- Obama is just absolutely torn up inside uh, about all the people that he killed to kill this one guy who wasn't necessarily doing anything. Ultimately, some fucking maniac like Trump is going to be in charge of it. Right. And the fucked up thing is that uh, it's weird. I mean, if only Obama had understood that morons could seize the reins of power. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, look, if only he hadn't for. followed up like what we thought was the biggest dipshit who would ever <laughs> secure the office of president. Like, right. if only he wasn't the guy after. George W. Bush uh, and didn't have some sense that, you know, completely irresponsible maniacs would take the reins of power and potentially invade whole regions and do whatever uh, under the name of the unitary executive theory. Uh, If only he had some way of knowing. I'm sorry. No, I think that's right. And and, and when you look when you look at what's happened to the OLC uh, to bring it back to that institution under Trump. I mean, you can go to justice.gov slash OLC and look at all the opinions they publish. You can look at all the ones that they've released, and you can see a fuck ton coming out during the Trump administration. They're a very lot prolific. more. They're very prolific. They're very active now. They weren't always so active before because the Trump in publishing administ- at least, right? Right, because the Trump administration is just exhausting whatever credibility remains in the institution, which I hope we've shown you should be zero. Uh, and just saying like the president cannot be indicted. None of the people. None of these people are subject to subpoena. Uh, if they are. Are subject to subpoena then counsel has to be there and can tell them that they don't have to answer fucking anything you say and uh all, all of this shit is completely permitted the the trump administration has done no wrong um and that's what these people are out there green lighting um but we just wanted to show you here that if you look at this and, and you analyze the arguments that we've shown you we did not do anything specifically uh um special or deeply intelligent or insightful analysis than any other lawyer who not that we ever would yeah if we any lawyer you pull off the street, anybody with a reasonable education, and you just you just pick them up and said, "Listen, uh, the the government has selected you to argue against this memo because we just need somebody who has no background to uh, to test our conclusion." They would fucking knock it out of the park. Yeah. Absolutely murder it. Shit is ridiculous. Yeah. And the only way I, I, 
I know I've said this several times during this, but the only way these people think they're getting away with it is they think that nobody's looking. Or they think that even if somebody does look, they won't really hold them responsible. They won't call them to account. And and part of that is because of the thing that brought us that brought us to talk about the OLC in the first place, which is that these high-level officials making these determinations, they have career incentives. The OLC is not impartial. These people yeah. all go on to bigger and better things. Caroline Crass, who bottom lines the Libya memo we talked about, she becomes uh, general counsel of the CIA. Uh, David Barron, who bottom lines the the Alaki the memo, he goes to the First Circuit. Uh, Bybee, who bottom lines the torture memo, he goes to the Ninth Circuit. Right, and and we we're saying the OLC that's so prolific now with these ridiculous opinions. All those guys are going to end up as judges or well-paid partners at large law firms, or you know some other cushy job at you know at a at a law school or, or some shit like that. They're yep. all going to be doing just fine. They're going to be doing better than any of us could ever hope. To no, they're not going to be doing better. They're they're going to be lording over you, <laughs> yes. ruling you, and making decisions for you and everything else. Right? Yeah. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting in the legal profession, just act as a handmaiden to power and you will yes. never go wrong. No one yeah. will ever call you. Listen, okay, check this out. Here's the real advice. If you're a stupid, but you're smart enough to know that you're kind of like dumber than your classmates, check this out. Just totally tack to the most obsequious uh Join the Federal Society. Join the Federal Society <laughs> and and just just pr- make a presentation to power that you are absolutely willing to underwrite anything they say, and you will never go wrong. Your career yeah. will be incredible. You will go well beyond your scrupulous peers, uh, and and you'll get to do incredible, interesting work. And all you have to do is just be a fucking idiot. As 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 an extraordinarily successful, I mean, just astoundingly successful, uh, as you know, uh, in-house counsel. Uh, <laughs> Let me just give you this. Just say, I don't think you should do this, but I don't see any reason you can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect end. (laughs) All right. The honesty of beggars It's against the crowd While love begs for comfort from this Brave new world